You're listening to the Accenture Insurance Influencers Podcast. So I think that the average consumer is a lot more insurance savvy nowadays than some insurers have, you know, think of them because they have access to the internet. They have access to social media. They know how to ask good questions when they want to. They know how to differentiate between a legacy insurer versus someone new. They know to ask, well, what's claims like? Why is the price low? So they, they understand that. Hi, I'm Igrani Yu. Welcome back to the second part of my conversation with the folks behind Coverager, best known for their slightly snarky, often humorous, and always insightful insurance newsletter. My name is Shafi Benhuda. I'm the co-founder of Coverager. My name is Avi Benhuta, and I'm the co-founder of Coverager. Shall we get started? Let's do it. I've noticed on your website you'd referenced a talk that uh, you'd given, and uh, you described insurance as a rarely differentiated product sold to a generally indifferent customer. Um, I'm wondering if you can break that down for me, because it it rings it rings true when spoken that way, but I don't know that I've ever seen it described that way. Yes. So it's a coverage or description, and we've, we always felt it. I think we were able to articulate it very well uh, last year. It was the SE2 conference. So the whole idea is Insurance is a commodity. I know some people are listening and saying, what the heck is she saying? But to the average consumer, and let's let's not generalize, let's talk about personal lines because this is where the majority of innovation is happening. So to the average consumer, they can't differentiate coverage from coverage or carrier by carrier. I mean, maybe there's a mascot, but again, it's just, it's it's a contract. It's a piece of paper. And then you, the most important piece is that you are dealing with a customer that simply doesn't care. And it's not, you know, if the customer hated insurance and you were trying to convince them to love insurance, you might have a shot because there's a thin line between love and hate. But if somebody is indifferent, it is so hard to get them to the other side. And that's why you can't engage. So really our premise or, you know, two things that we believe in that kind of lead every thought leadership piece, everything that we write is, you know, this piece that the customer is indifferent to insurance. He doesn't care unless, you know, health with healthcare, they do care. They absolutely hate healthcare. So you might get them to love it because there is usage there. But that's one. The second is that insurance is a zero sum game. So when we say it's war, it is absolutely war because if an insurer won a policyholder over, someone lost. I mean, what, the, what are the odds that you're going to get two car insurance? And how often will they shop? And everything I'm saying, so one, you can generalize an insurance. So a lot of this applies to personal lines. And two, this is a very local business. So what I just said, maybe not, not be as relevant in the UK, because in the UK, price comparison websites rule. But here in the US, it's the wild, wild west. You have so many segments of consumers, so many different habits, so many different behaviors that the smart insurers are micro-segmenting and speaking someone, someone's language, not everybody's language. That already has been taken. That's, that's the 15 minutes can save you 15% or more, right? You can't be that. So it's a matter of what can you be? And sometimes it's as simple as coming up with a message that's relevant to an audience. But again, the audience is indifferent. So how do you get them? How do you acquire? I mean, this is this is why it's called customer acquisition. 
um, it's, 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 I don't know, you, you don't attract an in insurance. Nothing in insurance is attractive. That is a fantastic lead into kind of the next um, topic that I wanted to explore with you, which was millennials uh, and modern insurance. Um, and I noticed on uh, Coverager that you had written about the five elements of modern insurance. I was wondering if you could share those with our audience. Sure. So, so well, before that, really what happened is we started to cover modern in- initiatives and whether they were venture-backed, so come, maybe coming without insurance expertise, building from scratch an insurance brand, and then vice versa, because every action has a reaction. We've seen incumbents create insurance brands, new insurance brands, right? But there was a recurring theme, and that's what led us to, to get to these five elements. And it's this notion of convenience, Right, so convenience drive innovation. We always start with convenience. Everything is about how do you make something simple, how do you make something fast, and we've seen people talk about hassle-free insurance, instant. By now, they all sound the same, but right, convenience is is the first element. And then there is the notion of fair, and fair is really when you can't offer the cheapest price, you offer the fair price. And fair is is kind of tricky because it's really hard for me to explain to you what fair means because. What is fair to me may not be fair to Avi, but but companies are using that term in order to learn folks in. So Root is fair, Trove is is built on the concept of fair, and then there is um, the element of utility, right? How do we move from an insurance customer to an insurance user? And what I mean by that is we're seeing. So first of all, we only have customers. Insurance is not a product that you're meant to engage with. There's claims, but I wouldn't call claims engagement. It's a transaction and typically in a sad or worried state. So it doesn't generate happiness. So the whole idea of insurance only having customers is really, okay, how do we go beyond customers to users? Giving them something of value that they can interact with and building a positive association to the brand. So we're seeing insurance companies basically go beyond the the core value of insurance. Maybe they're offering to sell you solar panels. Maybe they're offering you a way to build rent credit. Maybe they're offering somebody to take care of your pet while you're away. So that's the utility element. There's also the the element of um, flexible coverage, which a lot of times speaks to the notion of subscription-based, which we've seen a lot of new entrants offer. This is a subscription, cancel any time maybe on a monthly basis, maybe on a daily basis. Maybe it's the idea that you don't pay a down payment. But all these elements really speak to the modern consumer because, again, the modern consumer is or doesn't have as much money as prior generation. And then there is the fifth element, which is social responsibility. And with social responsibility, it's the whole idea of we're seeing B Corp companies and, and companies that are created for social good and the idea is, can you incorporate a scheme in which your policyholder feels like they are in charge of where the money is going or where some of the premium is being allocated to? And I know that insurance companies are known for you know, charity and, and charitable events, and, and obviously they, they support communities. But what I see, and you know, some people will disagree because to some people this is kind of a cynical move, you're, you know, you're a business to do business do good on the other side. I think when you incorporate the doing good into that, um, your 
basically core offering, then that message resonates more. So you're seeing a lot more people, a lot more millennials, remember that Lemonade donates a charity than per se travelers. And, and we all know that travelers donates a lot more. But, but nowadays, because with millennials, it's all about getting their attention, you have to speak their language. You have to know what would resonate with them. So, you know, this is how we came up with these elements. And obviously, different element has different weight. And not all of these elements are always, you always find them together, but definitely are more recurring than some of the other things we've seen. Do you feel like the modern consumer is necessarily a millennial? Are these terms interchangeable or do you think that there are characteristics of the modern consumer that happen to be quite common among millennials? So um, I think that you could have a modern consumer that is probably 45 or 50 year old that, you know, can use the smartphone and use obviously a computer and they can do anything that a millennial can do. I do think that when it comes to millennials, there are certain uh, characteristics uh, because, you know, we are a lot of us as a millennial, I could say we all have the struggles, you know, financial issues. Uh, We grew up in a world with uh, before technology. So we have that in us. But then we also have a world with endless options. So convenient. And, you know, it's proven that when people have a lot of options, it's not always great. So just a few statistics. Uh, in 2017, more people quit than I think in the recession in, in 2008. And it's not because, um, you know, they, they were fired or, or something like that. They just have the confidence now that they can find a better job. And you can see, for example, with e-commerce statistics, uh, the average uh, you know, e-commerce rate, the conversion rate is 2.6% in the U.S. in 2018. Imagine having a, a store in the w- real world and out of 100 people that come into the store, not even three people buy. And you look even at return rates. So, you know, we, we buy stuff in the real world and we buy stuff online. But when you buy stuff in the real world, you have to remember that if you want to return this, you're going to have to probably go into your car, you know, sit in traffic go into the store, deal with, you know, maybe uh, not so nice, uh, you know, store uh, people. But on the other hand, when you buy online from Amazon, for example, it's, you know, free shipping, free return. So all you need is a label. And sometimes you can even call uh, FedEx or UPS to come pick it up. And there is no guilt. And statistics show that when you return, when you buy stuff in the real world, then the return rate is 10%. But when you buy things online, the return rate jumps to 30%. We're seeing this with a lot of insurance companies. And for a fact, you look at the most successful, I would say maybe insurance companies, if you want to call them that, uh, they're all legion sites like Everquote, which went for an IPO, Quote Wizard, which was acquired for over $300 million. And what they do is they give people options, options to compare multiple quotes without the need to visit multiple sites. So I think the number one thing insurance companies need to understand about millennials is that they have options. And to have options for a product like insurance, which is rarely differentiated, 
that is uh, not good, not good at all. There's an unflattering stereotype of millennials as being entitled, fickle, or silly. Do you think that there are any assumptions about millennials that might need to be revisited, specifically from the point of view of an incumbent looking to attract new customers? The most important thing to remember, and you said the word, so I'm going to piggyback on it, they're not silly at all. And they will go out of their way to understand what they're purchasing. So I think that the average consumer is a lot more insurance savvy nowadays than some insurers have, you know, think of them because they have access to the internet. They have access to social media. They know how to ask good questions when they want to. I'm always amazed when I go and I see people's responses, people's feedback. Uh, obviously, there's access to online reviews, which is something people look at. They know how to differentiate between a legacy insurer versus someone new. They know to ask, well, what's claims like? Why is the price low? So they, they understand that. I mean, don't expect too much because if your underwriter can't explain it, then they can understand it. And sometimes I, I do come I come across insurers that think, you know, their BOP is all that mighty, but you have to bring it down to their language. But you do have to work under the premise that if you guide them, they will buy. So it's just a matter of building confidence, especially in personal lines. I think, uh, you know, for me, assumptions, I would say if there is an assumption that some insurance companies still have. So they assume that millennials want to engage with insurance. So I would say forget that assumption. That is not true. That is not going to help. The other assumption I would say um, that maybe some people are not talking about, but you think of technology today and what we can do with smartphones. I see technology as an enabler to our, you know, personal characteristics. So if in the real world, we would go into a store and we were like, oh, should I get this? Or I tried this, but I'm not sure if this is my size or if this is my color. So this will go to the extreme when you buy online. And I see this uh, with my wife. She buys and buys and buys and she returns and returns and returns uh but but your personality combined with technology is taken to the extreme so if you're a suspicious consumer you are going to do a lot of research to find the right product and it goes for any product and when you're not you know insurance savvy then you'll take the time to understand insurance companies need to think well how was in the old days like we had the ones that are price sensitive and the ones that are not price sensitive and the ones that we're looking for an experience and the ones that eat peanut butter and jelly for lunch every day. So think of that, then say the technology will help that person achieve his or her goal. And, you know, that should be your assumption that we're still the same people, just technology makes it easy for our personality to go to the extreme. I like that a lot. Um, I'd like to to look at another element of the millennial conversation, which is that for many years now, the insurance industry has been facing this talent gap where it's, it's not a super attractive industry for younger people for a number of reasons. I'm curious whether with this influx of insure techs, do you feel like that is attracting more people to insurance and might that lead um people into the incumbent insurers and sort of reinvigorate some of the older organizations? I definitely think that insure techs are attracting, attracting millennials. And we see that, you know, as a fact, 
you know, most InsurTech founders, I would say, are millennials. And uh, most of the people that work for InsurTech companies are millennials. So it's definitely a great thing. It's great benefits, uh, great culture, uh, you know, not all the politics and, you know, traditional and, I don't know, maybe you're not allowed to eat at your desk in some big insurance companies. I don't know what they tell you over there, but uh, definitely it comes down to the culture, the benefits, and we see that. It's definitely going to help, but, you know, insurance companies, I think, should adapt that mentality either by supporting InsurTechs or, you know, building that innovation uh, in-house because that will be a good way to attract millennials to work for insurance companies. My view is slightly different. I think, well, I think that the conversation about culture and and all, you know, and benefits, of course, and in your paycheck, that's a must, right? But I also think it's about making sure that employees, whether it's for startups or whether it's for incumbents, have meaningful work. I mean, how hard can it be? But with some insurers, uh, they still struggle with t- mundane tasks and bureaucracy and uh, getting approvals. So this is probably where insurers should focus more of their efforts to streamline their operation and to attract more talent. It also depends on the you know the role. So I know someone close that worked uh, as a technology coach at a big. Uh, mutual insurer selling uh, life insurance and uh, financial uh, services products. And the obviously, when you try to recruit financial representatives that work on a commission, it's very difficult and the retention rate is very low. So I think that for that piece, if you still want to rely on financial reps and agents, you'll need to figure out a better way because it's going to be very hard for them to be just on a commission-based model in today's world where people, you know, do not answer their phone or answer their email, you'll need to do more because it's going to be very difficult because the best salespeople today go work for Salesforce. They go work for Accenture. Okay. They, they work for the companies that reward them the most for what they can bring in. There will be a salesperson in insurance. That's not an easy task and it's not very rewarding. So when it comes to that, uh, they'll need to rethink the entire uh, model. I'd say that on a positive note, though, you can work in insurance and have so many different roles. And just looking at my career, doing you know business analysts and product management, and I traveled and I met people and I interacted with agents and with reinsurers, and you know, God knows, you know, now we're writing for Amazon. Who would have thought? I mean, I didn't think that. So I, I think. You can be in insurance and not feel like you're working in insurance, which is absolutely a plus. Uh, that leads me to one of another theme that I've noticed on your website, which is um, this notion that insurance is is already or is at risk of becoming almost invisible, of fading into the background. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So we believe, or I believe, I don't know if Sheffy believes it 100% yet, But uh, we believe that insurance companies, the way they are today, they have no right to be consumer-facing brands. You cannot compete for consumers' attention with a product that lacks the five basic human senses 
and isn't meant to be used. I mean, insurance is meant to be used in emergency situations only. So let's look at fintech, for example. It's very easy to build an app and say it's free. And we're seeing a rise in no-fee banking. Monzo, N26, Chime, no-fee, no-fee, no-fee. At the end of the day, these startups raise a lot of money, and their investors are going to say, great, you have 2 million users. Now let's make money. So if you do no-fee banking, then you have to sell other products. And insurance is a hot commodity. Expedia in 2018, I believe, or 2017, I don't remember, they spent 52% of their revenue on marketing. So they need to make more money beyond the bookings. So they partnered with AIG, an amazing partnership. They're doing great, selling a lot of uh, travel insurance products. The same goes with uh, payroll and benefits platform. ADP and Paychecks were leaders for a long time. Now you have Gusto, namely JustWorks, all coming in with better products and obviously better pricing. Why? Because that's their way to, to sell and get someone from ADP to use their uh, software. But at the end of the day, they're saying, well, we don't charge as much. Let's sell other products. And we're seeing namely add more and more and more insurance products. And you better believe that they will be able to sell because they have a constant relationship with a customer, which is essentially a user every month when they do the payroll or every, uh, you know, uh, once every two weeks. So that's happening. And we're seeing this also with connected cars and automakers. They will be the ones offering insurance. We're seeing the uh, money management apps like Clarity Money and others in Europe. Um, they have so much data and they could be the uh, brokers of the future where they'll be able to tell someone, you know, we see how much you're paying for auto insurance based on your profile. We can get you a better deal. Would you like that? Or even life insurance where typically people stick with it. They could say, hey, we saw your first payment before it's too late. We can give you a quote that, you know, will be better for you to pay for the rest uh, of your life. And again, insurance is such a easy product to integrate. It makes sense for so many uh, use cases. And um, that's what's going to happen. And I agree. Well, there you go. Agreement between the siblings. I like that. Uh, So would you say then that a smart partnership is something that incumbent insurers should be looking at if they're not already? Uh, You know, I think so. I think every incumbent should say, and this this is the potential, by the way, you're either my competitor or you're either my partner. And they have to look beyond insurance to decide who these partners are or, again, or competitors, right? Because they can enter in with someone else. So, you know, Expedia may as well be a competitor to someone else who's offering travel insurance, but not AIG, right? So you do have to get there first. You do have to have this mindset of let's try, forget the metrics for a while, the conventional, traditional metrics. You, you can't measure this now. It's too soon. But it's happening and it makes sense because you don't have a different option. Because, you know, the reason why I say you don't have a, a different option is look at Google and look at Facebook. I mean, what do you want to do? You want to, there is digital and there is being direct. So just because you have a digital offering doesn't mean that you're advertising directly to the consumer. And what advertising options are there? It really all boils down to the customer acquisition. Are you going to be another Google ad? Where is that going to place you? 
Uh, look at Health IQ, for instance. So now they're taking advantage of Instagram ads. But nobody goes to Instagram to buy life insurance. You go to look at food or whatever it is. So you are looking at new breed of startups that are looking to create intent. Let me let me see if I can convince you to buy life insurance. And nobody has figured out that moment of truth. So you have to be you have to be in a lot of places. You have to be in places um, hopefully that offer value, and that's why it's important to find these you know suitable partners. Mm. And what should incumbents keep in mind when they're looking at partnerships? I I think um, you know one thing about uh, partnerships. You know, we we said that a long time ago when we read about it. There's not enough partners out there for everyone. Okay, there is uh, Expedia and there's Priceline that completely dominate the online booking, and they're both taken. There is Uber and Lyft, which also completely dominate the ride-hailing market, and they're both taken. So insurance companies are really going to have to rethink their entire business and how they can really connect with their community. Because, you know, we talked about the five elements of uh, modern insurance. We're living in a convenience era. Now, there are a few things that can beat convenience. There is price. If you find a better price, then forget convenience. I mean, I'll go to Costco with that huge cart and bump into people and stand in line. I don't care. I'm saving money. There is that instant gratification. Let me sleep outside an Apple store and get my hands on the newest iPhone because, you know, I have nothing better to do. There is quality. Think of shopping for an engagement ring. You don't want to take a risk and buy from Blue Nile. You don't know what you'll get. So you go and you walk and you talk and you ask your friends, do you know who can sell me a good engagement ring? And then the last piece, which is relevant for insurance, is emotions. And I, I like to you know, give different examples. Sheffy doesn't like that example so much, but think of um, some mother-in-law, okay? A mother-in-law. It's not very convenient to go there for Thanksgiving but you don't want to fight with your wife. So you I absolutely you know, do not like this example for the record. But 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 that's that's the thing. So it's not convenient, but there are a lot of emotions at stake and you go out of your way and you try to have the best time of your life. Usually it doesn't happen, but you know, you try your best and that is what insurance companies need to do. They need to find a way to get people to care to care enough not to go to Google, to care enough to say on Expedia, no, thank you. I won't select that checkout that I want travel insurance. I have someone else offering it, and it's going to take me another five minutes, and I'm okay with that. So if you're able to get to that level of you know, connecting through emotions, I think a lot of insurance companies will have success. And this is specifically talking to the mutual insurers, the ones that really do care about their community and really do give back. And obviously, a big part of that is agents, the ones that, you know, go to the soccer game or go to church on Sunday. Emotions win. can, yeah, emotions, emotions win. They can, win. they win anything, really. They, it's such an amazing, you know, I wouldn't say it's a feature, but it's such a powerful force. But it's so hard to get it right. But there is a way. And that's what insurance companies need to do because there is no way they can win with convenience and being 
digital first or quick or 90 seconds to quote or 60 seconds or or even a perk get you know this and that if it's not something amazing if you can't be the number one on google if you can't have the biggest partner if you can't be the cheapest you need to start thinking about emotions i like that a lot and that's a good place for us to wrap up i think um, thank you so much for taking the time to speak on the podcast, Jeffy and Avi. This has been a really interesting conversation. Thank you very thank much. Thank you for having us. It was fun. Very fun. Cool. That wraps up my conversation with Sheffi and Avi Benhuta from Coverager. Join me in two weeks as we welcome Jennifer Fitzgerald to the podcast. Jennifer is the CEO of Policy Genius, not to mention one of Fast Company's 100 Most Creative People in Business for 2018, and one of only four women founders in fintech to raise over $50 million in funding. We'll be taking a behind-the-scenes look at Policy Genius and some of the business decisions that have taken the insurtech from a startup of five to more than 200 employees today. Join me in two weeks. Until then, I'm Igrani Yu. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Accenture Insurance Influencers Podcast. To hear more great episodes, visit Accenture.com slash insurance influencers.